Welcome to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. We are a gaming and psychology show. My name is Josue Cardona with Kelly Dunlap. How are you doing, Kelly? I am excellent, Josue. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very happy lately. Oh? Yeah. Oh. Because of you, in part. <gasps> because for, for uh, a long time, you do something that makes me very sad sometimes on this show. Which is that you come on here and you talk about how you don't have time to play or you, you're not playing games. <laughs> and lately I'm getting messages from you like, I played this game. I played that game. And it makes me very happy. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Um, but I saw a pattern. I saw a pattern. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, I, I would call them narrative games, adventure games, maybe games that are more more story than game. It's kind of the pattern I was seeing. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about those type of games. So, so what have you been playing lately and why? <laughs> well, first, uh, I, I used to play a lot and then I had a baby and that kind of ruined really a, a lot of any playtime I might have had. But in the recent months, the uh, aforementioned baby has been going to bed at a regular time. Finally. And sleeping through the night, mostly. Uh, so, you know, when he goes to bed at, say, 730... I don't have to worry about him getting up in two hours or three hours for a feeding or something. It, it took a long time, like a year and a half for him to get there. But yeah. we're, we're there. He goes to bed at between 7 and 7.30. And I've got at least a solid two to three hours where I can actually play. So that's the why. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why that's why I'm not mad at you. Like I said, it, it makes me sad <laughs> because I know what it's like to just like be overwhelmed and you can't play and you want to play and you can't play. Ugh, it's hard. When, when the difference is between sleep, like at all, or play, there's some people who are hardcore. I, I am not, uh, not in that regards. So Plus we're old now too. We can't. It we is. Can't and I, I'm wondering yeah. if maybe that's why I am enjoying these narrative stories. Because um, I was reflecting on it last night. I actually tweeted about it in the past month, past 30 days technically, but in the past month, I have played one, two, three, four, five. I have played five narrative-based games. So I've played Florence, Gone Home, Life is Strange, Edith Finch, and Her Story. Hmm. And so I'm thinking, one, I'm old. So these these games tend to move at my same pace, which is uh, slower. And, you know, there's no, there's no Twitch headshots really going on much anymore. Although I'm sure I could still pick up a sniper rifle and, you know, eyeball a jackal from a thousand yards away. No doubt. We should put that to the test, but continue. <laughs> I'll do it all. I will. But these in particular, one, I've noticed they are all short. I actually played Gone Home last night and it took an hour or maybe an hour and a half and that was it. And when I played through Florence, it was probably about a 45 minute game. Life is Strange obviously is a much more is a much more elaborate game and that took a long time over five episodes. But Edith Finch, I think I did in two sittings. Her story I did in one sitting. So they're like these short little nuggets of gameplay. And I think that it's really uh, conducive to the t- what I have time for and my level of of mental engagement at at this point. You know, I don't have to invest time in becoming good at something because I don't have it. But these are bite sized, uh, delicious little game candies <laughs> that I get to play and feel like I am still connected to my my gamer roots. And I also noticed they're all about women. And I didn't, I didn't realize that when I was playing them. But when I was collecting them last night, like, wow, all of these stories are about women. How refreshing is that? 
I've played all of them except her story. So other than that, I'm 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 good to go. Like uh I, I played I played Florence last night and I have haven't played the other ones in a while. But I'm I'm curious, like what what were you thinking about while you were playing them? What um like what came to mind? Talk to me. <laughs> Well, they are all narrative-driven games, meaning they're more... And there's some of them that you could probably even argue are not games. For example, Gone Home, I don't think is actually a game. In the definition that I hold, Florence is definitely not a game um, by a standard definition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so like having just played Florence... It's really like a storybook, you know? It's like an interactive... It's like an interactive digital comic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm fine using the parlance of game, but I also understand the academic key part of my brain is like, it's not a game. It's not a game. It doesn't meet the criteria. That <laughs> said, I think one of the things that delights me the most out of the games that I have played is that even though they are all these, these narrative-based contained experiences, they are all, for the most part, so different. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with Gone Home and Edith Finch because those two are probably the most similar so they're both games where you just you're literally walking through a house and finding out about the people that lived there and the inhabitants. I did read a review saying that Edith Finch is just a knockoff of Gone Home. Having played both, I definitely have to strongly di- I know. I strongly disagree. I I mean if if you were looking at how they operate, then yes, they are walking simulators through a house getting a narrative. But I, I totally disagree with that perspective. And it sounds like you do too. Yeah, I believe that Giant Sparrow said in an interview that they designed 30 different play mechanics for Edith Finch because um, they're, it's not just a walking simulator. Like the, the Edith part is, but the the rest of it, like every single vignette is so different and plays very differently. Yeah, I completely disagree with that. That's yep. not okay. <laughs> and there's there's a really interesting like timeline narrative going on with these games, specifically Gone Home, Edith Finch, and Florence in that order. That's actually the order that they came out. And I think it's interesting, you know, Gone Home was kind of the, f- the f- at least in this trilogy that we're talking about, the first one. The trilogy. The trilogy <laughs> uh, that, that was released. And it is just, it's walking through this giant house. There are puzzle aspects. There's codes you have to unlock. There's things you have to find. So it is exploratory in that sense. And it's being driven by this wanting to know more about what's happening to Sarah and what's happening to the player characters, mother and, and father. And that drives the entire experience. But it's pretty, there's nothing mechanically interesting about it. It's just kind of your your regular puzzly based kind of game in in that way. And then, like you said, you get to Edith Finch and they designed 30 different control schemes so that you could interact with the stories in a unique way that brought you closer to those stories. And if you haven't played Edith Finch or you need a refresher, strongly, strongly recommend going back and listening to the Headshots episode last year, I think in November, September, something like that, where Josue and Lauren did this epic deep dive into Edith Finch that was that is so great so go go listen to it but yeah I I totally agree that it it yes you are walking through a house and yes you are learning about people um, by the stuff that you find but to me it's much it's more of a game because it just takes these mechanics and and it uses the mechanics to to bring you into the story to make you feel like you're an active participant in the story rather than gone home where you're just it feels more like you're a passive observer. Does that does that seem about right? 
I, I, I disagree in the sense that I, I think that the act of discovery is, is not just being an observer. Plus, there's a lot of things like, and that discovery, a lot of it is optional. I think only the sister's story is is uh, the You're talking way about gone home. Gone home, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. In gone home, I yeah, like being. I don't. I, I disagree with it. You just being an observer. Like I think that that you're you're. You are an active participant in the game and in the story. And there are all these aspects to Gone Home that are, they're interesting because again, like there's a lot of things about the family that are really optional and really only the sister story, has uh, is like the the goal of the game. Once you figure out the sister story, then then that's when it's done. Um, but all the other stuff is extra. And yeah, it is. You're just exploring a house, and there are puzzles. And uh, I did feel like that was a game. It, also, I was terrified for like the first 30 minutes playing that game. I thought it was a horror game. <laughs> I am so glad that because I, I listened to another. I think it was I think it was actually another episode of Headshots where you and Lauren were on there and you, you mentioned Gone Home and that you kept expecting something to jump out and scare you. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I would have also been terrified because even though I knew nothing was going to jump out and scare me, I was still anxious <laughs> when I was playing. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, let me let me step it back and and say maybe not that Edith Finch is more of a game, but I think Edith Finch is more active. Not that Gone Home is inactive, but I think Edith Finch is the next step in terms oh, yeah. of yeah. of engagement and activity. Is that is, is that fair? Yeah, no, no, I agree with okay. that completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just I still feel like Florence. I have I have feelings about Florence about it definitely not being feeling like a game but i i went when i play gone home like i feel like i played something plus gone home um even the developers like they've done this there's all these different ways to experience it and you can even speed run it in a few minutes there's even a trophy for that <laughs> it's pretty cool <laughs> there's all these things that are built in that you couldn't really do if if those um that foundation wasn't in place but yeah but uh like you could see your finch as a almost like a mini game collection once you finish the game you can go back and play any chapter you want and and have that experience on its own instead of in the, the, the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we agree that we disagree with the reviewer who said that Edith Finch is a knockoff of Gone Home, that they are both gameful, whether they meet the strict academic criteria, mm, mm-hmm. doesn't really matter, but yeah. there, there are gameful elements in, in both of them. And that Edith Finch, I feel like, takes it mechanically at least a step further yeah. um, in bringing the player in. And that kind of leads me to Florence, which was released last week or last month, like really, really recently. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. And it's, as far as I know, it's only on mobile. You can't mm-hmm. play it on, on um, and that's because of the mechanics of this game, which is why I think it's kind of the next iteration of Edith Finch. Um, so again, Florence, there's nothing you can get better at. You know, in Gone Home, you can get better. You can do the speed runs. In Edith Finch, you can, you know, have the different mechanics and find different ways through. And so that's one of the, the hallmarks of a game is it's something that you can get better at. And there's no way to get better at Florence. It really is kind of this pure interactive narrative type of experience, interactive uh, graphic novel. But what I do like about Florence is that it reminds me a lot of Edith Finch in terms of the mechanics. Uh, so, for example, well, first let me pause. If you haven't played Florence and you don't want it spoiled, take a pause, take 45 minutes, go play it, and then come back. Because I'm there's no way to talk about it without spoiling what goes on in the story. Also, it's $3. It's definitely worth $3. Yeah. So f- the premise of Florence is it is a love story. It's like an actually very tried and true love story, but it's told in a a very 
different way that makes it feel fresh, even though what's happening is, you know, the subject of a thousand books and movies and things like that. And you start the experience in, in like a really mundane way. You are introduced to Florence, who's this 25-year-old who's in a, a job that she isn't very engaging and she doesn't really like. And her life is just very ho-hum, you know, just very vanilla, very plain. Uh, and as you play, things pop up like you need to help her brush her teeth. And so you you move your finger back and forth across the screen until the, the meter fills. And that shows that she has brushed her teeth. Or uh, there's one point, I actually like this mini game as nerdy as it is. You're at work and you have a, a small spreadsheet that's two by four. So it's just really small. And you have to match the numbers in the spreadsheet. And of course, it's just to show kind of how the the banality of her existence. Or uh, as you're walking to work, you see her her mobile, her mobile phone, and you star or like or retweet basically the stuff that's coming across her screen. And I will say- I didn't like that part. You did it? I uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, I just favorited everything until I saw the dog and then I hit retweet because that was the only <laughs> thing I would have actually retweeted was the dog. Yeah, it was like, I don't want to like or retweet any of these things. Can I just swipe? But- uh... No. That it gave no. me that option. Because it's a story and not a game. Because we're playing as Florence, not as yes. me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I think one of the more... So it's like introducing you to the game, the mechanics, and the way that you're interacting in this world, that your movements impact how Florence moves through the space. It doesn't change how she'll move it, but you are what is propelling her through the space. And I think the first point that kind of got me in terms of decision-making was when your mom calls... And I'm I'm curious, Tosue, did you pick up or did you did you not pick up with the first time mom calls? I tried to not pick up twenty times. I kept hitting the decline button over and over and over again, but it wouldn't let me decline. She kept calling. Very persistent. I declined the first time and when she called again I picked up. I feel like that is <laughs> traditional mom guilt <laughs> right there. Um but yeah, there's that idea that it's going to happen no matter what. And so the idea of choice is more of an illusion. But that's kind of the, the start of it. As you go on, the mechanics get more interesting. The story gets more involved. And so basically, you know, girl meets boy, this beautiful young man named Krish, who is a cellist. And he's playing in this beautiful park. And they they meet and they fall in love. And I think one of the things that I enjoyed most about the falling in love stage uh, were the, the speech bubbles, which if you haven't played, it's going to sound really weird. But one of the first times that Florence talks to Krish, they have the little speech bubbles that come up uh, like you would on your instant messenger, you know, just little oblong bubbles. But you have to put them together. And it's very simple. They're just three pieces. You know, there's one for the left and one for the right and one in the center. There's nothing complex about it. No, nope, no, nope, like nope, nope, nope. I disagree. No, nope. if you look at it, um, when they start, it's like eight pieces. When they first start talking, it was four. And as the, com- the first one nope. was only four. Nope. I will pull it up right now. It was only yeah, four. I have a Where's my phone? I took a picture. Let me, no let way. Me it was mine. not eight. That's why I can't find my phone. Okay. The point is, it keeps getting, it starts more <laughs> complicated because she's starting to talk to someone and it's hard to talk to people that you don't know at first or you're nervous. This is the way I interpreted it, and which, which I loved. And then as you continue to speak, the number of pieces is less and less and less. To the point where it's only one piece at the end because you're way more comfortable and it's easier to... The way I interpreted it was it's easier to find the words. 
So as you're progressing through that first conversation, it changes. I'm checking because I felt certain. Anyway, what Josue said is completely right. I'm still not sold that it's eight pieces, but the because I was thinking, oh, okay, here's a game mechanic. Here's a puzzle that I can solve. And with that first conversation and then the second conversation, I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is easier. And I didn't quite get it. And then the third conversation, it was even easier. Oh, and then it dawned on me, of course, it's getting easier because the mechanic is conveying to the player without any kind of language at all that it is getting easier for her to talk to him. And I thought that was just, it like blew my mind. It was amazing. I have pictures here. Um, The first picture I took is six pieces and then it goes down to four and then three and then two and then one. Okay. Can confirm two, four, six. Oh, there are eight. All right. Well, I stand corrected. The first (laughs) one is eight pieces. Uh, I was just so in the moment. I just couldn't, I couldn't count. Because the moment it dropped down to, I was like, oh, this is, this is amazing. And, mm-hmm. and I think that the, the kind of the, the beauty of these games is taking a normal daily experience and having this, some, some sort of play mechanism in it that conveys, it's the difference between reading the story and then having an action, right? Like that experience of, of putting it together is, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. It's like a little puzzle. It's fine. But it's like, once you see the next, it's like, oh, it's easier. Oh, I see what's happening. Like a, a part of me was like, like I, I, at first I didn't like the game because of these things, but there's, there's so many moments like that in Florence, which is again, less than an hour. It'll take you uh, to finish it. Um, it's probably closer to like 30, 30 to 40 minutes, but moments like that were, were so smart. I feel like, I feel like I see what you did there. That was, that was really good. That was really good. And F- Florence had a few of them and, and Edith Finch is all of that, right? It's taking these different experiences of death and making them all into a different type of game. And some of them before the actual death part, there is a, a living part, right? And the way that you live those lives and those experiences is, is unique and interactive but also like quirky and fun. And, and, and there's enough in Edith Finch to like meet different criteria or different, um, you might use different adjectives to describe them. But in Florence, I really liked, like my, my favorite part um, in Florence is at the beginning, you're, you're remembering when you're a kid and you do the, the art. Yeah. And that part was a lot of fun. Like you, you're trying to color it and it's like, it's hard. It's not like just take a color and put it. It's like you're stamping and you're trying to fill it out. And I don't know, I don't know you, but I spent a long time doing that probably more more time than anything in the game i spent coloring the 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 little boat and the and the butterfly and then right after that your mom is like looking over your shoulder like that's stupid yeah. do math and then you do math and it's just like it's just filling in the blanks on math problems and i love the contrast of like oh yeah not only not only is florence feeling that uh, art is way more fun than than math but i'm feeling it too but it's because it was designed that way. It could have been designed a completely different way. They could have made the math part more fun than the art part by just making like the the, the art part really hard or, or impossible to fill out or something like that. But they didn't. And that was that was kind of the point that and 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 that like feeds through the rest of the game that there are these moments that um like you can feel that they are fun and there are moments that you feel that aren't in your life and this game was able to convey that very, very simply. And, and, and that was impressive. And, and I loved it for that. Yeah. I just, I loved, well, one, you know, because it is a interactive graphic novel, so to speak, it is visually stunning. 
and that the art is beautiful and the soundtrack that's on Spotify, by the way, is also beautiful and helps a lot with the uh, the evoking of emotions. But to me, the, I mean, honestly, again, the, the mechanics are what are what got me and what kept me so interested in playing the experience. You know, that, that word, right? Like experience, it's, this isn't an interactive, these aren't interactive fictional narratives, right? Where in, in the sense that you have branching paths and you can just choose what you want to do. In, 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 in the case of this trilogy, right? You always go, you're always moving forward. There isn't really an alternative. I don't think there's an alternative. There's one game in Edith Finch where there are crossroads that you can choose. But really, you always end up in the same place. Everything is going to play out the same way. But the the gameplay mechanics are there to um, represent an experience and to evoke an emotion, not give you choice, which is what sets these games apart, I think. Yeah. Or this type of game. So... One of my old professors used to say that uh, readers read, viewers watch, and gamers do, or players do. And I feel like that really encapsulates the experience in Florence, because it would have been so easy to just throw in some text. There's almost zero text in the game, but it would have been so easy to throw in text saying, it's really hard to talk to him. And it would have gotten across the same cognitive information as piecing together those speech bubbles, or it's getting easier to talk to him. But because they gave it to us in a way that we could actually have an impact and not not direct where the story goes, but, you know, we are required for that story to progress because if you don't ever click that button, it never actually happens. And so I, I just love that they they didn't tell, they they showed and they required the player to be an integral part of that showing, of that storytelling by having you do something that could have much more easily been accomplished by telling the player. And so I, I think that's why Florence is uh, why I feel like it's really special, uh, at least to me. And then something else that I really enjoyed along this same idea of the experience that you have, the way that you interact with the with Florence really digs at the emotional cores or or really makes you think, at least it did for me. Uh, of particular note, there is one point when Krish, your your beautiful cellist lover boy, moves in with you. And you're like, yay, I'm so excited. Uh, but he has this box of stuff. And you have kind of one of those cubby bookshelves that has nine squares in it. And you have to decide what to take off the shelf and put in the box and what to take from the box to put on the shelf. And... I found that really, really hard. Yeah. Because, which is silly because this is not, none of this is my stuff. Like there was a teddy bear on top and I said to myself literally out loud, I am not moving my teddy bear. <laughs> like it was very important to me that I keep that teddy bear. And I think the picture it was with Florence and her mom, but I was thinking the Flor- uh, the picture of me and my mom. And so, you know, I swapped a couple things out and I actually tried to make it even. That's how I rationalized it to myself is that you can make an even split. And the same thing happens again in the next scene when you're in the kitchen. You have to put some of your kitchen stuff away and put in some of his kitchen stuff and trying to find this balance. And uh, there was a, a really – I think it was Destructoid who had a review on it. And they basically said that when you're moving these objects, it it doesn't matter what you move. It doesn't matter if you put the teddy bear in the box or leave it up. It doesn't matter if you put his skateboard in the hallway or not. I, I was thinking that it might. I'm like, well, if I don't put any of his stuff up, he might be sad. But no, it doesn't matter what you put and what you keep. 
um, the impact from this comes from having to make that choice at all. And I thought that was really powerful that without words, without consequences, you can still feel invested in this decision because the decision is given to you and you have to decide what personal of mine am I going to give up and what personal of his do I want to showcase? And I know I I really struggled with that part, trying to make good decisions. And I felt really, really invested, even though none of that stuff was mine. Hey, have you listened to GT Radio? It's the original Geek Therapy podcast. It's actually where Kelly and I met. I interviewed her for the show a few years ago. The show has changed a lot. We call it GT Radio now, not just Geek Therapy. And we have four co-hosts every week, including Lauren Keller, who you may have heard on this show before. GT Radio is a weekly celebration of geek culture and mental health. What does that mean? There's a panel of mental health and psychology professionals geeking out about the stuff that they really like and think is important. To check out GT Radio, just search for GT Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Like in a game like Life is Strange, I think it's all about choices, right? The reason why the emotions really come from the choices that you have to make, because the choices in those games matter. In in this time, it doesn't matter what you put in the box or you don't or, or what you, you put up. But again, it's it's like it's making you play through compromise. And that's that's an experience that has some feelings that go with it. And it was it was hard to do, right? Even from the first one is the shoes, right? You're like, yeah. and at first you're like, oh, like, I don't like those shoes of his. Those are kind of ugly. So we're going to keep those in storage. Yeah. And it's funny. And then the second one, right, you have the picture and you're like, well, if I'm going to keep my picture with my mom, I should put his with his family up. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, but then he's got like religious artifacts and he's got things that he does for fun. He's got and a then, skateboard. And-, and a skateboard. And I'm like, oh, but then it's like, oh, but to clear out one of those spaces, I need to get rid of like 20 of my books. That's not fair. Right. And that that feeling <laughs> is like, yeah, it was kind of messed up. Right. So then and then I think even even harder than like I, I like the way it progressed. Right. Because it was like silly. And it's like, oh, well, you know, action figures and 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 uh, cats and, and things like that. But then it goes to the kitchen and then it feels cultural because like, mm. oh, wait a minute. Like he's Indian. He has like I should I. I definitely need to keep his spices. Right? <laughs> I kept his spices too. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, he's got like these different tools that he uses for he uses for for cooking. Like, I can't like not let him keep those. Like, that's part of who he is. Like, it kept getting more complicated in just those three steps, and it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable because you want to be fair and you want to be respectful, but giving up a piece of yourself is so hard. And again, it doesn't matter. And I think that later on in the game, when you come back to these places, you see that they're not exactly the same, <laughs> right? Like it, it d- didn't really matter um, where you put things, but you played through that experience. It made you feel what it's like to have to compromise. And that was in a very effective way, I think. Yeah. And yeah. again, all without n- no text at all. And you're just going through it. And I I think what's so fascinating is it touches on this, um, like this cornerstone of of human existence, Um, whether you want to call it compromise or having to give up something of yourself to accommodate somebody else. And I mean, not you don't have to, like you could just leave all of his stuff in the box and nothing in the game, nothing in the game would change. Usually it's like one, once you put one of his things in, then it lets you move on. Which was which was interesting because that little arrow would 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 appear. Oh well, um, yeah, at and different that's, times. That's probably yeah. more because they don't want you to swipe past it. Like if you yeah. don't think to, you know, go to the box and move things, they want you to know that the option's there. So I think that's more of a of a 
a gameplay necessity than any kind of commentary. But if you want the commentary, it's like you can do the the bare minimum. Okay, you can put going. his sneakers in because he's going to yeah. need shoes. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, because they could have required three, you know, instead of just one. Yeah. You know, that, that, that yeah, does they, make a difference. Well, I mean, it, it's there in terms for, for the play value to make sure that you're not missing an experience as opposed to like you must do this much it's not like preaching at you that you everything must be equal and i think that's where some of the power comes from is you really are free to make the choices you want even though those choices don't matter and so we're only about halfway through the game at this point and then you know there's someone love and it's so beautiful and i think one of my favorite scenes is one that i tweeted out where uh, i think she was in the mirror in the mirror or something but you you uh rub across the screen and it reveals Krish playing his cello and it just I don't know why that was so powerful for me but it just was so beautiful oh she's thinking about him that's what it is you see her and then it scrolls up a little bit and there's this thought bubble and so you start you know dragging your finger over the thought bubble and which is black and white and then there's Krish and he's got this beautiful blue background and this golden and and, uh, mahogany cello and he's beautiful and there's music and oh it was just it was so beautiful and I loved it so much and it's just something that small like it's a completely artistic experience um but then but then sad things start happening and then I was gosh gosh darn it so they started to get into an argument and those those bubbles appear, but now they're sharp and pointy. Instead of the nice, soft, rounded conversation bubbles, they're like sharp and pointy. And I remember thinking to myself, why are we arguing? What Can we can we stop? I don't want to argue. Why do I have to do this? I don't want to argue. I like you. You're really cute. I want to keep you. Why are we arguing? I got mad at the game because I didn't want to argue. And his his pieces were like slamming down at one point. Yeah. You, couldn't, you can't slam yours down. You could do it faster and faster. But yeah, there was no no text. I mean, once things started going downhill, the two that kind of affected me the most were Adrift, which was the part where like there's this very subtle drawing of them um, hugging, I think. Is it the one that they're hugging? Yeah. And then you start putting putting the pieces together, but literally the pieces are all drifting apart. Oh yeah, that was. And you're trying to put them. To, you're trying to put to, to, together a puzzle, but the pieces are slowly moving away from each other. And then after that, when you put the puzzle together, and it's each of them on their side of the bed, but then it ends up being two pieces. Like they don't interlock. They don't fit together. Yeah. They literally don't fit together anymore. The 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 puzzle pieces, and then and that's it. Then you pr- proceed to the next one. Ugh. <laughs> like it's crushing. Cause, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it's it's just the way that it was presented. You know, there's nothing. I mean, obviously the music has a big part in it too. But I mean, how visceral of a reaction, how universal of a reaction is it to see two puzzle pieces that don't go together? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a universal language for, oh, crap. <laughs> and these pieces, they did fit together they before. Did. They yeah. did. And they were beautiful together. And now they're not. And... I think one of the ones that affected me the most was, I don't remember which chapter, but it's when you have to leave him behind. Like she, Florence is walking. It looks like a beach. She's walking along and Krish is there with her and she keeps moving forward. And then his character starts to lag behind. But if you try to keep him up with her or take her back to him, it the the level basically just keeps resetting. And so you have to sit there with no control at all you just sit there and watch as they walk apart and Krish slowly fades away. And that chapter is called Let Go. Let Go. And the moment you touch the, the screen, the title of the chapter comes back. 
Yeah, it's saying let go. Yeah, you're like, ah, oh, you have to oh. just watch it happen. Yep, can't do anything. Yep. And I think for as much as we talk about the importance of agency and autonomy and your choices having consequences, like that was just a perfect example of how taking away all of that from the player uh, when used intelligently and well can have a really profound impact because you just had to, you just had to sit there and you had to let go and it oh, oh. Yeah, like we, we talk about VR and as a tool for empathy, and I still think that that is like the, the best tool we're going to have for, for empathy in the future. But that is literal, right? Mm-hmm. This was this was um, like a translation, right? Like we took this feeling and we made it into this game mechanic, and now you can feel it. But it's not it's not the same as being there, right? It is it is again it's it's not a literal representation of the emotion, but you it evokes that in you. And I don't know, like not many games let you experience something like that. I don't know. I don't know if you have other examples that, that come to mind, but um, because they're there, I mean, it's happened very few times in my life where I get to feel something like that from a, from a game mechanic. Yeah. And it just, it was, Oh, I'm thinking about it now and it's making me sad. And <laughs> I think that's one of the things that games can do so well that, you see like across the medium is games are a medium in which we will voluntarily engage with negative experiences uh, in, in like in an active way. You know, if you're watching a movie or reading a book and you read about something bad that happens or you see something bad that happens, you know, there is still some distance and you're not really participating in, in it. Whereas in Florence, for example, you are participating by not being allowed to participate. Like you are, you are driving this story forward and it's making you feel bad and you have to push through that feeling bad. You know, the story is not going to continue on without you. The the, the movie's not going to keep going. The book's not going to keep getting, you know, the audiobook's not going to keep reading. So you you have to put yourself in there and push through it. See, and a lot of stories, it's hard to relate to them. I might relate to a story that you don't because of where we are in our lives at that moment, the experiences that we've had. So watching a movie, reading a book, it's not guaranteed that you're going to feel what that character is feeling, that you're going to get what the author conveyed. But like you just said, in this game, we are all playing it. Like we're all having the same experience. It might hit us in different ways, but we're all, we all get to share that experience where when you're reading it, you don't, or you're or watching, you're not necessarily feeling it. But here, I'm I'm curious, right? I'm I'm sure there are people who played through this, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't feel nothing, but uh, <laughs> but you still had the same experience that I did, right? It may not, like, you still had the feeling of going through that conversation and it getting easier, yeah. And you still had that con- that that experience of having to let go because you had no other choice, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, like you said, it resonates differently. I know, you know the the mom in the story, you never see her. Well, I mean, in pictures and stuff, but. She's basically saying, why don't you have a boyfriend? Do you want me to hook you up? Like, I can find you a nice, I can find you a nice boy. And that to me, like in my brain, I know that that is the reality for many people, like men, women, you know, your your mom or your dad always trying to, to fix you up. Oh, you, you need a boyfriend. You need a girlfriend. Well, grandkids. Grandkids. Yeah. That's never been my experience. So that point was more um, detached. Like, okay, I understand that 
this is going to connect to other people and it's going to be more relevant to others, but it's not really relevant to me. And that's like, that's okay because it's such a small piece where, but that's also really specific as opposed to, you know, the theme of letting it go or compromise. These are things that are universal human experiences. And, you know, if you have an empathy and, and you are willing to put yourself into that play space when you're playing Florence, like you're going to feel it. You're, because we have all had to let go of something at some point. We've all had some kind of pain that we've had to deal with. We all have had to make compromises in our life. And I, I think that's its strongest point is that it hits on those kind of universal notes. See, but even even that phone call one, you always have a binary choice. And then before the call is over, you have to repeat yourself because like she seems annoyed that, uh, you know, Florence seems annoyed and we're seeing the same options come up. So it's like we need to repeat the same thing to mom because at this point she's she's just being annoying, you know. So I think that even even there where like what they're what they're talking about or what she's saying isn't necessarily relatable. But the experience of having a parent or or a friend or someone like nagging you on about something, yeah. having to like repeat yourself like, nope, no, no, I'm fine. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm good. Leave me alone is is there like yeah. they, they represent that yeah. yeah yeah and then just kind of like wrapping up the story obviously there is a there's a part where she's basically grieving you know she's grieving the loss of of a relationship that was really special to her and the player is experiencing some of that grief as well but in traditional narrative fashion you know there's it it rises at the end like there, there is a happy ending she you know, changes around and starts to do her art again. Because, you know, he's a cellist, so he's an artist in that respect. She really enjoys, um, like, drawing and painting. And she starts picking that up again. And then she becomes successful. And she basically moves on with her life. And if I had to nitpick, I would say that's probably the part that I like the least. Just because it seemed to come so easy for her. You know, the, I feel like the first two thirds of the game, things were difficult. Things were a struggle. Whereas, and then, you know, she had to let go of this relationship and then she was, um, you know, sad and alone. And not that I'm disappointed that she came out in the end stronger and happier, but, you know, she it's it kind of feels like she just started painting and then everything went her way, which felt a little bit jarring compared to how the rest of the narrative had played out. But again, right now I'm being, I'm being super nitpicky. I don't know. I feel like that experience that you have as a kid, you're remembering this is what you like to do and then you never did it. And then at a point in your life, I think it, I think it, the chapter is called waking up or something like that. And then you kind of go back to that kind of embracing who you are. That's why I don't consider this a love story. I don't consider it um, a love story at all because like Krish comes and goes, but I don't feel that that's the, the core of it. You know, it's a, it's about Florence discovering herself you know like being like living living your life uh one way and and kind of discovering what makes you happy and and i think that chris is just one of those things that made her happy and then didn't but yeah it's like it's it, it's pretty short right we, we don't see the in-betweens there like you said there's very little text there's no we don't know what else um happened in between there there, there might feel like something is missing but i like the way that it um again it kind of ties back to that to that part at the beginning because that that was it. It's like there was a love of art. Maybe I don't. I don't know that there was necessarily uh, a clear message 
if there is a message there, I would say that it's, I don't want to say like follow your passion uh, or anything like that, but you know, like find things that make you happy and, and pursue them and see you might be happy. I don't know. That's, that kind of feels like the message of, of, of the game. If there is a message. Yeah, I can, I can accept that. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely see that, uh, someone having that experience as well. I mean, I, I do like that, you know, she doesn't need someone else to be happy and that she really does find her own happiness. I guess my, again, my nitpicky was really you're an artist and you start painting and you become wildly successful without any problems whatsoever. Uh, she got a second, uh, second place um, at the beginning and a gallery, like you can literally just pay to have yourself up uh, at a gallery. So it doesn't mean she's successful. She was Again, smiling. I'm, I'm being like, anyway, the, the overall, like this would be my 1% little mm, thing. But and yeah, and then the, the story ends. And I just, I'm really glad that we talked about it. You know, I think we've talked for about as long as the entire game would take to play. Well, it's funny. I didn't expect us to just talk about Florence, which is, which is what we mostly ended up doing. But I, I did want to ask you. If there are any other games that you that have ever made you experience something like, and and again, this trilogy of games, I think it, it's it makes sense because I think that in all three of these games, through gameplay, you feel something, and I and I think for me, even playing through again, even that act of discovery and looking through boxes and then having to read old documents um, to learn stuff about your family and and kind of there is this mystery about about your sister, um, all those things. I did feel very similar to to Florence and in Edith Finch there are definitely multiple parts in that game which again listen to to the episode that Lauren and I did to hear more thoughts on that but there are definitely moments where you're you feel what's happening or you or you feel a feeling because of the way that the gameplay is represented and I can only think of one game ever that really, really made me feel something like that through through gameplay. And that um, there's a part in Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons that made me feel something like that. And and that's it. I've, I've rarely had an experience like that. What about you? I am a very openly emotional person. <laughs> so I feel like most games make me feel something. I mean, the... Listen, I cry at commercials. I get that. But I mean, like, a <laughs> gameplay mechanic that actually, like, that is specifically designed to make you, like, the thought bubble thing, right? Like, that is mm-hmm. that is not the game. That is one moment in the game. In Brothers, okay, there's I a see. moment, right, where you, there's a loss and you, like, you physically feel the loss. I think that that's really hard to do. I think it's, it's hard to build a game around it. That's why I think that these are just, like, very small moments. Maybe... Maybe over the years, probably some QTE events made me feel something similar, but not to to this extent. Honestly, the in terms of mechanic, like narratively, I can think of a million examples. But, and this is going to sound horrible, <laughs> but it's the first thing that came to my mind. So I want to share it. I was playing Skyrim and I had just equipped some armor and I obviously had not looked at what it did or what it was capable of doing. And I was battling some bandit and I accidentally decapitated him and the head started like rolling away down the hill. And I remember texting my husband going, oh my God, I just chopped off somebody's head. Holy cow. And the emotion for me behind that was I can do anything, which again, it sounds terrible out of context, but it it was this experience from someone who's used to doing on rails, first person shooter type games, playing something as open as Skyrim 
the the idea that I could just do something and the world would respond was was still kind of new for me. Um, and the same thing when we hooked up our connect and I could actually do the dragon shouts in the language of dragons. Like that was just a really cool mechanic that helped me get into the story more and appreciate it and feel more like that character. And like that character was me. Uh, kind of the same way that Florence, you know, putting the the speech bubbles together made me feel like, okay, yeah, I know that experience too. And I, it, it helps me feel like I am I am there and I am part of it and have that kind of emotional connection. So yes, I just compared Florence to Skyrim. Come mm. at me. I mean, I get... I, I get that. I guess recently in in Titanfall two, like you're you're progressing through the game, and then at the end, you get to a point, and and a few games have done this. This is just the most recent one I can remember, and you get to a point where you've like reached your maximum potential, and you're kind of you're practically invincible, and it feels amazing to like just you right like go through a level and just like have like just feel powerful. So I I get that. I get that. I don't know. I don't know that's exactly what I was looking for, but I, 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 I get the feeling. I get the feeling. I, because I think in, in Titanfall in particular, I, I don't know so much in, in Skyrim, but in Titanfall, the point is for you to feel invincible at that point, for you to feel way more powerful than you ever have before. And maybe maybe that that was the intention of um, decapitating in, all, in, in all Skyrim. All I'm saying is that these moments, I feel like a lot of times when people are talking about serious games and the ones that have empathy and these kinds of moments built in, the emotions tend to be ones that are bittersweet or, you know, sometimes just downright sad. Like in the case of Edith Finch, when the the baby, I can't even, I can't even talk about it (laughs) type of thing. And I feel like it's important to have those experiences, but I also want to emphasize that it's okay to have those kinds of experiences that are empowering and make you feel powerful and omniscient. Because uh, I, I feel like that's the strength of games as a medium is that you can experience an entire range of emotions from ones that you want to feel to ones that you maybe don't want to feel, but you still have to work through. Um, so, yeah. But, but these particular games like do something special, again, because I think that a lot of gameplay experiences fall under that category of like, well, you're watching a TV show or you're or, or watching a movie and it hit me. But again, like all these little examples from from Florence are so specifically like you're designing like i'm sure there was there's a mechanic first and it's like oh well that can represent you know mm-hmm. a conversation that you can kind of like build a story around around those little experiences yeah i feel like florence is a is a collection of moments yeah 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 a yeah. collection of, yeah and that and it's just a completely different experience from even even from edith finch or from life is strange or gone home or any of the other narrative games in that kind of genre um, because it really is like these small bite sized and you can totally see the comic influence coming through in these small like panels almost of experiences. And yeah, no, I think I think Florence is special and I would highly recommend that people go play it, uh, especially anybody who wants to design games for mobile devices. Because I, I think that's another one of its strengths that we didn't even we didn't even touch on is that it was designed for a mobile experience and so it took it took all the affordances that a, a mobile smartphone has and and capitalized on it, you know, from shaking the screen to swiping the screen to tapping the screen to pinching the screen to double tapping, like all of those things that you you couldn't do with, a say, a controller, for example. You could um, do it on Switch. 
Okay, on Switch. It wouldn't work on 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 consoles or PC. Yeah. Right, and so yeah. I just the the way that they designed the game to be mindful of the medium and how the medium had such a strong influence on how the game plays out uh, is just I think a great uh, a great thing for aspiring developers out there to go and and take a look at. I do feel a little like at the end of Hellblade, I'm like, man, like yeah, like I don't I don't know how I feel about the story. There's some parts and this and that, but I do feel it's special. I feel yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I I stopped playing Hellblade, but I think everybody should try it. And I think everybody like I would like it if everybody paid three dollars and and experienced Florence because I think that it has so much potential to like inspire people who make games or people who even don't make games and just show them how powerful a a moment, an interactive moment can be. Yeah, you don't you don't need something grand on the scale of Skyrim to have really impactful. You need to chop people's moments. heads off. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to, but it yeah. is kind of fun. I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. All right. Well, yeah, we definitely talk more about Florence than it'll take you longer than it'll take you to play it. Um, Achievement we did, unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> we did we did talk about a few other things. Okay. Yeah. No. This uh this turned out very interesting. Not not the way I I expected. But uh, well, then I did my job, Hostway, because I got to keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good job, good job. Uh, for for more episodes of Headshots, uh, visit headshotspodcast.com, where you can find not only the episode that I did with Lauren talking about Edith Finch, but a whole bunch of other games uh, where we have mind blowing conversations. Get it? Headshots about games. This one kind of blew my mind. This was good. <laughs> <laughs> Or if there's something you want us to play. Like, I am always looking for recommendations on games, especially short ones or ones that have easily digestible chunks like Life is Strange. Get at me. I, not I Skyrim? Not Skyrim level Not games. Skyrim, no. No. <laughs> Actually, uh, the Edith the Finch was Lauren insisting that I finally play the game. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things. To, it's like her story. Like, I bought it. I want to play it. I just I just didn't get around to it. She insisted. I played it, and then we 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 talked about it. So yeah, that definitely works. <laughs> it <laughs> definitely is a legitimate works. strategy. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I want to hear your experiences with a game like like Florence or or other games like this. Especially like what what kind of moments in games made you feel something? But again, because of the mechanic, because I think I think that that's like a very different thing than just oh the story hit me, or or I love that game because I was playing it you know at this moment in my life. Did you take the teddy bear and put it in the box? Or did you leave the teddy bear? That is all I want to know. <laughs> Are you team teddy bear or not? Hashtag team teddy bear. Yes. Um, yep. So we're on Twitter at HeadshotsCast, at Josue A. Cardona, at Kellyanne Dunlap. And we'll be back in two weeks. Bye-bye. You've just listened to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month at our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash geektherapy.